So this is actually the last week of this series uh, where we're talking about questions that a friend of ours has, asking for a friend. We did this series last summer where we just took topics from our own lives, questions people submitted, questions about the Bible or about life, and said, well, what does the Bible say about this subject? What does Jesus have to say? And it went so well last summer, we did it again this summer. And you guys brought the heat. We took your questions. I can't say that it's been fun. <laughs> it's been interesting. It's been good. If you missed any of the topics last summer or this summer, you can go back to iTunes and get the podcast. Or you can just go to our website, connectionchristian.org, and get them there. Uh, you know, I was really hoping somebody would ask a question like, chocolate or coffee? And I answered like, is it the room for both? And so, you know, or, you know, I asked like, are we really thinking about trading Lynn when we're, you know, we need to catch the Cubs and are we going to do that? And when's Wainwright going to start? I could talk about that. But no, you guys ask difficult questions like the case in point, the question today. What about same-sex attraction? And I get why you would ask that because it's so much a part of our national conversation right now, Right? Like, even this week, transgenders in the military, it it hit the news. 2015, the Supreme Court uh, legalized same-sex marriage across all 50 states. So there's that. Chick-fil-A, the boycott. There's just so many things where this is a conversation that people are having. Whether we want to or not, all of us are. And sometimes I listen to the national conversation, and I use that loosely, and I think it's kind of like this dog I saw this week. He started it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, like, I, I think I'm like watching this or watching two-year-olds as we have this national conversation. I'm like, I don't care who started it. Just stop, right? Anybody else with me on that? Let's just not do this. And, but it's not just a, a national topic that we're interested in. This is also a generational thing when we talk about this, this question. Bill Henson points out when the topic of homosexuality comes up, people over 50, many of them will often, the first thing that comes to their mind is sinful, While people who are under 30, the first thing that comes to their mind is injustice or people being mistreated. So there's there's that component to it. But it's not just a political or a generational issue, is it? It's it's also deeply personal. There's There's that layer to it. And it's not an easy question to answer, I don't think. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, I think it's a pretty easy question to answer, whichever side you take or if there is a side. I don't think, I'll put it this way. I only think this is an easy question if you have never been invited to a gay wedding. This is only an easy question if you do not know anyone at all who is same-sex attracted. This is only an easy question if you have never had a child say to you those two words, I'm gay. This is only an easy question if you yourself have never felt same-sex attraction. It's not an easy question to answer if you say, well, I, I try to take the Bible seriously what it says and and what's right and what's wrong. So you've got all of these things coming together. I know for me personally, just be honest, I can take the LGBT acronym. I can put the face of somebody that I know, somebody I respect or care about or am related to for each one of those letters. How about you? For me, I think I've been the person that someone has talked to, if not the first time, one of the first people somebody talked to to say, I think I'm gay. So this is, this is not just some hypothetical or somebody else's issue to deal with. This, I understand why you would want to talk about it, and the Bible certainly does talk about it. And I have to acknowledge some of you, this is, maybe you're thinking, is this the first Sunday I came to church? Why did I come to church? There might be some tension in your mind, like where is this going? I, I totally get that. Like some of you might be sitting here, oh no, is this the Sunday I find out my church hates gay people? No. All right. Some of you might be thinking, oh no, is this a Sunday I find out my pastor doesn't care about the Bible? 
No. You know, if I do this right, the chances are pretty good. Everybody's going to walk out of here mad at me today, so there's that. Um, so that's always good. But uh, I, I think I need to just remind you about something. If you're here for the first time, please, you're just going to have to extend me a little bit of trust. And I just ask you to listen to the whole thing before you make up your mind on this. But uh, for those of you who've been here a while, I hope that you can trust me also. One of the things that's very important to us here, and just to remind you, is we're here to connect people to God and each other through Jesus. That's, why, that's our mission. And when I th- think about what that actually means, it's, we go to the Bible, we look at what Jesus did, we look at what he taught, we look at what he taught through his apostles that he sent out, and then we try to imitate that example, we try to obey that teaching, we try to take those beliefs, and if they contradict what we've always thought, then we let the Bible trump that, and we learn to uh, change our behavior and our beliefs over time. But we feel like God was so patient with us when he sent Jesus that, that we need to be patient with each other. And so I, I look at Jesus, and I have no qualms about pointing you to Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing or what you've done. The Bible says this about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. I love this verse. It says, the word, that's Jesus, the word became flesh, God became a human being, and made his dwelling among us. John said, we've seen his glory, I'm an eyewitness, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That's a perfect description of Jesus, full of grace and truth. It was a perfect blend of both, like soda. You never thought you'd hear somebody compare Jesus to soda, but we are. Anybody here like soda or addicted to soda? Whether you like it or not, you just have to have it, right? I take my caffeine cold first thing in the morning. So those of you who do drink soda and those of you who won't admit it, but you do, is McDonald's Coca-Cola not the best Coca-Cola in the world? I don't even like Coke, but I like McDonald's Coke. It's just good. It really, I think some people even have this theory about why that is. It's the filtered water or they've got their own unique syrup blend. I don't know what it is. It's just good. I'm also a fan of the Diet Mountain Dew at QT. That's a whole different subject. Have you ever got a soda and you weren't really paying attention when you filled your cup out of the fountain and everybody else who saw it saw that it was running clear and you didn't and you take that first drink and there was no syrup, it's just all sparkling water? Whoa, right? I like sparkling water if that's what I'm expecting, but not when I'm expecting a sweet soda. It's not good. The mix is off. On the other side of that, have you ever had just pure syrup, no soda water? When we were kids, we were running through this old church building. We found an old closet, and in there was a glass bottle of Coca-Cola concentrate, dusty and everything. So we were like, oh, this is going to taste amazing. It's just pure Coca-Cola. I almost said pure Coke, and that's a whole different sermon. It does not taste good. There's a reason why you mix that syrup with water and carbonation. When the mix is right, it's oh so good. And it's the same thing with grace and truth. And Jesus was the perfect blend of grace and truth. So truth can be very harsh all by itself, right? You ever had anybody who just likes to tell it like it is and they're so blunt that nobody wants to be around them because nobody can stand to just listen to everybody picking on, like telling you exactly what's wrong with you. And that's truth all by itself. And that's just too difficult to take. But then grace grace is like the, uh, all by itself, it's like the person who is too nice to ever tell you something. And so you end up hurting yourself more than you need to because that person doesn't care enough to confront you and say, you know what, I care about you enough to tell you the truth that what you're doing and where you're going is going to hurt you. When you put the two of those together, grace and truth, grace does not dilute the truth and truth doesn't harshen the grace. They work in tandem so well together and Jesus was just the epitome of that. People liked Jesus and he always told them the truth. 
but he did it in a way that they were willing to listen to it and ask for more. And, and as, as people here at Connection Christian Church, Jesus is the one we're following. And for me at least, and I think for all of you, I want to challenge you as your leader to, to embody this idea of grace and truth perfectly blended together. And as we talk about this topic today, this is one of those times where we've got to get both of them right. So let's talk about the truth first of all, and then we'll get to the grace. What does the Bible say about same-sex behavior? So to do that, you're going to need one of these. You're going to need a Bible. If you've got it on your smartphone, you can pull up the Bible app. You're looking for 1 Corinthians. So if you're in the, the paper version, it's toward the back of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. So you're looking for 1 Corinthians 6. We'll just take one example of the biblical Christian teaching about, about this area. So if, while you're looking for it, what you want to know about this as you're trying to find it is, why is 1 Corinthians even in the Bible? This is originally a letter that a, a guy named Paul wrote to a Christian church. Paul was the guy who started this church, and a lot of these people knew him as the guy who led them to, to follow Jesus. And so he would write letters back to them, trying to continue to teach them and guide them and coach them into the right direction. Two of the letters he wrote are actually in the Bible. When we read 1 Corinthians, he refers to another letter that he had written to him before that we don't even have. Another thing you need to know about this, this just church that was in this large city in Greece is they had a lot of problems. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians and you get that real clear. So let me just read a little snippet of Paul's teaching to the Corinthian church. This is out of verses 9 through 11 of chapter 6. He said to them, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Guys, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or people who are abusive or people who cheat people, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we'll go ahead and stop there. Paul got pretty specific there, didn't he? There's a list of 10 different sins. And he says, guys, don't you know? It's like an episode of Real Housewives. Just all these different things that he lists out here. And you look at that. I want to just point out several things that you may have already noticed about this. In your bulletin, there's a place you can take notes if you want to. One of the things that really stands out to me is that he starts with the words, don't you realize? Why would he say that? Sounds like something my mom would have said to me. Don't you, what, what, what the heck are you doing? You know better than this. That's where he starts. And so what apparently is happening here, and you get the bigger picture when you read the whole book, but just take my word for this. There were many Christians in this church who were still living like they used to live before they met Jesus. They became a Christian, and their behavior hasn't changed, and there's even maybe some leadership in the church that's saying that's okay. Real strong on the grace side, not a lot of truth. So Paul's saying, look, I, didn't, I taught you better than this. You guys need to grow up, because there are just some behaviors that are just unacceptable in the kingdom of God. In God's family, we just don't live like this anymore. That's, that's not how we behave. And so he calls them out on that. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer out loud if you want. Is this a complete list of sins that Paul gave here? Are all the sins that a person can commit on that list? No. No. Like, for example, where's murder? It's not on there. So here's my next question for you. You don't have to answer this one out loud. Why did Paul use these examples? Where did he pick from 
for these 10 sins that he rattles off and then says, this is not how people who live in the kingdom of God live like. Where did he get those examples from? He tells us, he says, all these different things, some of you were once like that. All he did was think about the people that he knew in that church and he just thought about what their sins were and he said, that's what you used to be before you became a Christian. Think about this, the original CCC, Corinth Christian Church, was filled with people who had rated our testimonies. And they, they were called out by Paul. They were taught about Jesus. They said, you know, I like that message about Jesus. It's the best thing I've ever heard in my whole life. I'm in. And they got baptized. They repented of their sins. This is a church filled with people who used to be all these things. Just look at the list. There's people in this church who used to swindle people, and maybe still are. There are people in this church who, you know, said malicious things about other people. They were slanderers. There are people in this church who were drunkards. There are people in this church who were male prostitutes, and, and all these things. And then Paul says this, that's what you were, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified. I want you to hear me on this. Those things, some of those things might say, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to be friends with you or not. You know, you may have questionable morals, but none of those things disqualify you from becoming a Christian. They can't because all of these things that are on the list were what they were before they became Christians. And Paul didn't say, okay, you can't become a Christian because, you know, you need to clean up your act and then you can. They became Christians. Now, I want you to notice where Paul listed the topic for today, homosexual behavior. It's number four and number five on a 10-item list. You know what that means? In his mind, it's not the worst. It's just one of the many ways that people who don't really know God live. But it's not the thing that is worse than any other thing. It's a sin. It's one of the ways people sin, but it's not the worst way that people sin. I want you to notice something else. Did you notice that all these sins that Paul lists are actions? You actually have to do something to be guilty of any of these things. Like, think about it this way. Is someone a thief because the thought occurs to them, I could walk out of the store with that and nobody would know? Or are you actually a thief when you put it in your pocket and you walk out of the store with the video game or whatever else it is that you... When are you a thief? When the temptation happens or when you actually do it? When are you a sinner? When you have the thought, you know what... I'm done, I'm just going to get smashed tonight, and I'm just going to forget it all for the weekend. Is that when you are a sinner, or is it when you actually have too much to drink and you habitually get drunk? Are you a sinner because you, the thought occurs to you that I am just so tired of putting up with that person's garbage, and you know what, I'm just going to let everybody know what an awful person they are? When the thought occurs to you, or when you actually do maliciously spread rumors about somebody else? And are you a sinner because you are finding yourself attracted to someone of the same gender? Or are you sinning when you actually act on that? So I think what I'm trying to say here, and I'll just be very blunt, God prohibits same-sex activity. He's not prohibiting same-sex attraction. Besides, I honestly don't know how you could prohibit a temptation. I have not personally figured out how to not be tempted by something. Have you? If you have, I, come down here and tell me, because like, I don't know how Jesus was tempted in every way. How do you keep from being tempted? Temptation is not the same thing as sinning. Another thing, and this is not as obvious in the English translation of our Bible, but Paul wrote originally, when he wrote this letter, he wrote it in the Greek language. 
So the people who were reading this would have understood something because there's, things are just more obvious in Greek than they are in English. And he used a, a verb tense for all of these sins that, continue, that talk about it in a way that suggests it's a, an ongoing, habitual kind of thing, not a one-time, occasional thing. Like, yeah, I sinned once, and I repented, and then maybe I fell again. But what he's describing here is the person who habitually is slandering people, habitually getting drunk, doesn't really care. Like, yeah, I became a Christian, but God's forgiven me. I've got God's grace. I can just keep doing whatever I want all the time. It's, it, they're not leaving it behind is the problem. And Paul's saying, look, you can't think about stuff like you used to. There was a time in your life before you knew Jesus that that was okay. God kind of overlooked it because you didn't know any better. But you know better now. And yeah, maybe you continue to fall into the same sins you were before, but now you've got a different mindset, and now it's time to, to repent every time you sin and turn back to God and to, to leave it all behind you. What he's saying is, you've got to learn to match your lifestyle to your new identity in Christ. And yes, that takes time. Maybe it takes your whole lifetime to learn it, but you learn to bring your life in consistency with what you say you believe and what you learn. And... Uh, as you fail, God's grace will help you. So, a Christian who is being immoral by sleeping with someone of the same gender should do what a Christian who is being immoral by committing adultery or sleeping with somebody of the opposite gender that they're not married to should do. You should do the same thing that somebody who has sinned by stealing should do or someone who has sinned by you know, slandering someone should do. The appropriate response to any sin for a Christian is to repent, to confess it to the Lord and maybe somebody else, and then recommit to yourself to holy living. And you do that as often as you need to. Every day, every hour. I don't know how often you sin. I know how often I sin. And I know how often I have to tell the Lord I'm sorry and I have to move on. So that's the biblical truth right here. There is a clear do not cross line in the Bible. And as much as I would love to say to my gay friends, and I have them, you know, I, I really want you to be happy. And I, I just, I can't say that you can just do whatever makes you happy. Some of you were around here a couple of months ago. We had another message series, God Never Said That. And I, one of the things we talked about was, does God wants me to be happy? And I'd say, yeah, God wants you to be happy, but he doesn't want you to be happy if that means doing something that's sinful or unwise. There comes a point where when you're a Christian, and I wouldn't go out and just find people on the street to tell them. That, like, you're here. You're wanting to know what God says, and I'm telling you the best I know. There, there comes a point where you've got to say, I think that God knows better than I do about some things. And when we disagree, I'm going to trust him until I figure it out myself. It's like God knows what he's talking about. And I think this is one of these times where I think our culture is just getting it wrong. Does that mean we don't treat people with respect? Of course we treat each other with respect. And I'm, I'm so sorry for how people have been treated in the past. But we have to go with what I think is the truth, and that's what I'm sharing with you. Pastor Timothy Keller puts it this way. If we pick out which parts of the Bible we dislike, we actually have a God we've created. How can that God ever call you out on anything? That's the truth. And I would tell this to my same-sex attracted friends as I would tell you or anyone else when you're struggling with sin, you need to try to bring your life in alignment with God's will for your life. And it's God's will that you be holy. Now let's hit the gray side of this. How do we exhibit the love of Jesus for people, including people who are same-sex attracted, people LGBTQ, just pick your person. How do you do that? I think it's a, a question that we need to ask. And this is a difficult question. We need to ask ourselves 
are LGBT people welcome at Connection Christian Church? I don't know, you might be sitting here thinking, am I welcome at, at Connection Christian Church? And this is a place where I have to be just honest. I don't think that churches have always done a great job with this in the past. Just to be very frank with you. Study after study after study shows that Americans who are not Christians think that Christians are judgmental, hateful, and intolerant. And in some ways, I've got to just say, you know what, I think you're right. I think that there is some hypocrisy and there is some judgmentalism that shouldn't be there because what they're saying is, to a certain extent they're wrong, but to a certain extent they're right. They're saying, like, you're willing to call out some sins and say they're wrong, but you're willing to ignore other sins because they're your sins. Uh, you got a point there. I love what, um, what Jesus would do. Jesus was, again, that perfect blend of truth and grace in a way that I think churches sometimes missed. Churches got really good at presenting the truth, at least on some subjects, to, without adding the grace in there that would invite anybody to come to Jesus in the first place. And so people got a picture of us that were harsh, and I mean we just as Christians. If you're not a Christian, I'm sorry, I'm not including you in that, but I would invite you to become one. But um, So when we look at Jesus, how did he do that? How did he blend truth and grace? I'll give you an example. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, says the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. They actually wanted to hear the truth, the hard truth, the truth they maybe didn't even agree with, but they would listen. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. One of those tax collectors and sinners that liked to listen to Jesus was a guy named Zacchaeus. If, you're, if you grew up in church, you might know the name. If you don't, let me tell you a little bit about him. Very wealthy man, very influential uh, powerful. He lived in Jericho, and he heard about Jesus, and he heard Jesus was coming through his town, and he was a short guy, and so everybody was crowding along the road that Jesus was going to go down, and they wanted to see him. Zacchaeus couldn't see over the people, so he got an idea. He ran further down the road, climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see over everybody. Jesus was walking down that road, got to the tree where Zacchaeus was, looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you got to come down because I'm going to your house today. He invited himself over for lunch. I love that about Jesus. There's a, an author named Sally Gary. I love this book. She wrote a book called Loves God, Likes Girls. And that's her story. And she talked about this, this event with Zacchaeus. She said, I think one of the most important things that we as Christians can do is follow the model of Jesus <coughs> Excuse me, in the way that he related to people in the Gospels. She said, I love the story of Zacchaeus when Jesus invites him down and out of the tree. How many people were walking with Jesus who didn't even see Zacchaeus? But Jesus always saw people who were on the fringe. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, I need to let you know how I feel about this tax collecting stuff that you're doing. I, I need to let you know where I stand on that, and I don't approve of that. Nonetheless, I do love you. And that was not Jesus' response. Jesus' response was to say, I want to go to your house. I want to spend time with you. I love something else that the Apostle Paul wrote. This is in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What he's saying there, by the way, is that you and I, even 2,000 years later, should memorize this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul goes on to say, of which I am the worst. So much humility there. The guy says, like, you want to talk about sinners? I'm the worst, and Jesus saved me. I used to kill Christians, and then I became one. And if I can become a Christian, anybody can become a Christian. Jesus came to save sinners. Connection, what if we, and I mean we who are Christians, what if we imitated Jesus' example 
And we became a place, or hopefully we already are a place, where people who know, I've got a pretty messed up life, but I know they accept me while I change. What if we took the grace, by the way, here's a great definition of grace. Grace is treating people with a kindness that they do not deserve based on their behavior. What if we took that grace and treated people with a kindness they would never expect, from, a, especially from a Christian? And, they, you know, like, I'm accepted, and God's changing my life, and, and that all changed there. To me, this is a no-brainer. Our boss accepts sin pe- sinful people. Our boss welcomes sinful people. If Jesus does that, and, and I'm following his example... Shouldn't I be accepting sinful people and welcoming them and showing them the love of God? Shouldn't I be bringing people and telling them and showing them Jesus and letting him start teaching them the truth? And hey, if we're going to stop welcoming sinners in our church, I guess I just got to stop coming to our church. And if sinners are not welcome here, I'm just wondering how you all got in here, right? Grace and truth are so powerful when you put them together. The truth and the, the love of the relationship. Yeah. I want you to listen to a guy named Caleb tell his story about how the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus changed his entire family. Uh, listen to this. This is Caleb Kaltenbach. My name is Caleb. If there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that sometimes grace can get messy. Let me tell you what I mean. When I was two, my parents divorced. Then, they both came out of the closet. Yep, my mom and dad are gay. Both of them. My childhood was messy. I spent most weeks with my dad, and he was very quiet about his sexuality. I spent weekends and breaks with my mom, and she was not quiet about her sexuality. She met a woman named Vera, and they ended up moving to Kansas City. And it wasn't too long before they were fully immersed in the LGBT community. They joined the local board of directors for GLAAD. They took me with them to parties and campouts and clubs. As a kid, I even marched in gay pride parades. I remember at the end of one of these parades, there were some Christians who were holding up signs on street corners. These signs said things like, Jesus has no room for you. If that wasn't offensive enough, they were spraying water and urine on everyone. I remember looking at my mom and being confused as a young kid. I asked her, Mom, why are they acting like this? And she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate gay people. Growing up, I saw how some Christians treated people in the LGBT community. I watched as people who had AIDS were shunned by their family. I listened as radio preachers spewed homophobia and hate towards the gay community, and I knew that I never wanted the name Christian to be associated with me. Funny enough, when I was in high school, I joined a Bible study to learn how to disprove the Bible, and instead, I ended up following Jesus. When I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college. And after college, I worked for several years at a church in Los Angeles before moving to Dallas, Texas to preach. My mother's partner had died a few years earlier, so she moved to Dallas to be closer to our family. My dad moved a few months later. Both my parents started attending the church where I was preaching. Both of my parents gave their lives to the Lord, which is incredible. Do they believe in Jesus? Yes. Are they Christian? Yes. Do they still struggle with same-sex attraction? Yes. Are they judged by some Christians still? Probably. 
Do they believe the same as me on every theological issue? No. Is God with them on the path they're walking? Yes. How do all these things go together? I don't know. I just know that sometimes grace can get messy. And that's okay, because God loves messy people. Something else Caleb said in his book, Messy Grace. He said, for those of us who are in Christ, we can be sure that God does not stop loving us. We can't outdo, and, or, or nor can we outrun the love of God. His love does not depend on our behavior. That's grace. If God's love depended on how I act, I would have been out of God's favor a long while ago, and you would have too. I'm telling you, I, to me, this is, again, this is a no-brainer. Our boss, Jesus welcomes everyone who is a sinner. In fact, that's like a qualification to be a follower of Jesus. Are you a sinner? Yes. Okay, you can follow me. And then he says, once you're part of the, the, the family, it's just so much easier when you get your arm around someone that you care about to then point out the flaws and say, hey, there's some things that we need to change in your life. First the relationship, first the love, then the truth. And that's what I love about this church, that we have been patient with each other in so many ways. And this is just one of many ways that people sin. But everybody's welcome here. Just hearing it from me, everybody is welcome here. And we'll teach you the truth of Jesus. And we'll accept each other while we're changing and growing and becoming like Jesus. And so I want to tell you, no matter what, what your problem is, whatever it is that, you know, is your area, that Jesus has a solution for it. And... If you've never committed your life to Jesus, the best thing that you could do is to commit your life to him, to trust him as your leader and your Lord and to submit to him. And, and he'll even give you the ability to change things in your life that you can't change on your own. And um, I'll just tell you, if you've got any questions or comments or concerns or you just want somebody to pray with, I'm here all day. I'm here uh, at the office all week. And you can call me. We can sit down and pray, talk, whatever, about anything. And if it's something that you want to do and, and make Jesus the Lord of your life, let's, let's do something about that today. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand up and let's pray. And then we're going to go into a time of communion. And you just think about what your next step would be with Jesus as you follow him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that before we even knew or cared about you, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to become one of us, to die for us. Thank you for that grace that you don't treat us like our sins deserve, that you give us a kindness that we could never expect based on how we act and how we treat each other. And I pray, Father, that this would be a church where we love each other, where we do tell each other the truth, but we do that in love. I pray for you to just help us become so much more than we ever would be on our own, to become just like Jesus in, in every way, perfect, and always doing the right thing for the right reason. I pray for people who are hurt and, and maybe just don't even know what to do next, and people who are just seeking wisdom that you would show them clearly what it is that you want to do in their lives and what you want to do, them to do next. And I'm so thankful for how you are changing all of us, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.